0: Speaker, TV host, author, pastor, coach, blogger, YouTuber, wife, mother. Those are all titles that you carry and hats that you wear and capacities you operate in. But how does Nicole define herself? Who are you, Nicole?
1: Oh, wow. After all of those words, who am I? I would say I'm a little lost girl that was born on a, not born on, but grew up on a gravel road who's still walking that same road, but with a whole new purpose.
0: Wow, wow, uh. <laughs> that, that encompasses all of those, because now those, in my mind, they don't feel like roles, they feel like avenues for mm. you to be able to share and to put that out into the world. That is, I, I love that definition. How, how long have you thought about that or how did you arrive at that definition?
1: Well, I just arrived at that definition when you asked that question. <laughs> because i you know a lot of people get their who confused with their do hmm. and it's not who we are but what we're doing and our doing defines who we are in our mind and i have actually been wrestling with that because i've been trying to strip away what i do as my definition and if i if i could do no more you know if my kids grew up and and moved away and if my job disappeared and pretend my spouse went to heaven unexpectedly, what would be left of me? And I was a little lost girl on a gravel road. And to be completely honest, I feel like I've gotten a GPS, but I'm not completely out of the woods. (laughs) But I'm on that road with purpose today, where before I was kind of wandering around and bumping into things. And my purpose exceeds my family, And my job, my purpose is divine.
0: That is so powerful. We can stop the podcast now and we can just, (laughs) we can just ruminate on that for a while. And that would be plenty enough value because, you know, you said that and, and it kind of hit me deep. I was not expecting for you to say that, uh, to be honest, listeners, Nicole and I've been speaking for 30 minutes and I almost didn't want to share her with you, but I knew I had to get her on the podcast and hit record eventually. But it hit me so deep because if we're honest, we're all that little lost person, I guess, still making our way down that road. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a little bit of grace. I, I think about myself, I, I'm a type eight, I'm a challenger, very uh, big energy and powerful and strong, or at least seemingly. But it gives me a lot of, I guess, faith and courage and grace to say, maybe I'm still that little boy on a gravel road, just trying to find my way with a new perspective. It, it's kind of comforting in a way.
1: Well, I've grappled with the fact. So I'm almost 50, uh, and I've grappled with the fact that life is not a destination; it's a journey. And I'm never, ever, ever gonna get there. I'm never gonna be done. I'm never gonna graduate. Like, hall of life is a learning process. And as bad as I want to be expert or achieved or you know, like get there, the the fact of the matter is, the whole purpose of life is continue to be getting there because the, they're always new so that we're always improving and changing. Cause the fact of the matter is if I stopped improving today, 20 years from now, I'd be really disappointed in myself. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Not thinking of it as a destination, you know, we are going to dive into, we discussed this pre-show, but talking about your Enneagram type and trying to confirm it because you're vacillating between a couple of numbers. And one thing that you just said, there kind of gives me a little bit of insight. We're not going to dive into it yet. But let's get to know you first. And when I coach with the Enneagram, I think any personality tool, it's very, there's a temptation to say, this is what the assessment says about you. So this is who you are. Now tell me what that means within those confines. And my approach is always, let me get to know you, and then we'll just see what's going on in the tool. So I want to get to know you a little bit. What was that defining moment when you realized, hey, life is not a destination. Life is a journey and it's a continual journey.
1: So my husband and I pastor a church. And way back in 2007, we were in our third year of ministry. We had grown from 180 people to 2000 people in three years. We um, were starting to put together policies, procedures, formalize some things. I was our executive pastor. I put together our policy and procedure books because I'm a real nerd. We had this legal review done. I finished going through our legal review and I closed the book. And I remember sitting back in my chair going, huh, I guess I should write a book on leadership. And that's about the time that we decided to build our second campus, which we had never heard of before across town. That next year, we grew 108%. The policies and procedure that worked for one campus did not work for two locations. We had to expand. We had to double our leadership team. We had to double our staff. And I will honestly tell you that moment in 2007 is the last time I felt like a good leader. (laughs)
0: Wow. For the last
1: 14 years, I'm going, thank God I didn't write a leadership book because, oh man, I had so much. I, I, the longer I'm in leadership, the longer I realize I still have so much to learn. And, and that's when I figured out I'm never going to get there. It's just, and I can't fault myself and I can't get angry with myself or upset or, or cry or whatever that, that reaction is for whoever you are. The fact of the matter is I, I'm growing and that's what I'm supposed to do.
0: Wow. So that in and of itself is one of the best things I've heard from a leader is that, hey, we're constantly growing in it. It's not a place of having solved it. And you know, you're speaking to something personally about, I guess, imposter syndrome, if you will. I think that's a real thing for all of us as leaders uh, or parents or spouses or just human beings is that, you know, I, I, I might get found out or someone might, finally see that I don't really know what I'm talking about or what I'm doing. And in a way, we're all kind of imposters or we're all completely qualified, depending on your perspective. And so you admitting that and saying that that was the last time I felt like I'm a good leader. It leads me to believe, even though we just met, you're someone that I would want to serve under or someone that I would want to lead me because of that kind of humility.
1: Well, thank you. Or you'll realize that, wow, I send a lot of emails with typos. But I just, I just got finished speaking this past weekend. as was a three-day conference called the Mom Mastery Experience. And I walked in and thought, I think I'm the last mom on the planet that should be talking at this group because I haven't mastered being a mom at all. And I think that's where a lot of us are, Keanu. I think a lot of us are really trying to be a good business owner, trying to be a good leader, trying to be a good spouse, trying to be a good parent, trying to be a good churchgoer, trying to be a good human. And then we screw up and we spend time beating ourselves up about our few screw ups, rather than celebrating like all the things we are getting right. And so that's where my focus is really kind of changing is I used to kind of ruminate, if you will, I think that was a great word you used a little bit ago. Thanks. (laughs) Ruminating on the bad things instead of saying, okay, I screwed that up, but you know what I did get right? So let's do more of the right and not worry as much about the wrong.
0: I've heard Donald Miller say once that if you know 5% more than a person in a specific lane or a specific area, then get out in front of them and coach them, lead them, develop them. Because we often feel like we have to have it all figured out. And that was really freeing to me. I actually heard that when I had just started my business because there was that imposter syndrome of, you know, I know that I have something to offer, but I'm afraid that, you know, who am I? Right. And I think that that's a lie from the devil. And at the same time, it it is humbling. We need that. And I heard him say that, and it really stood with me. So you're very experienced and you're a coach and you're a speaker and you're an author, you're a leader in all these different lanes. How would you say that if you know, 5% more than someone get out in front of them and lead them? Or what does that tell you?
1: So we're always raising up campus pastors, associate campus pastors, campus hosts, people to speak and lead in, in the different church campuses that we have four in St. Louis, two in Florida online, and we're adding a, another state. So how do we get these people comfortable? Because anytime you're a pastor and you step in a pulpit, you do have, and syndrome, I've never heard that term, but it's perfect because you think, okay, if I'm getting up in front of people, there's a lot of people who expect you to be perfect. So you get this thing and go, Oh, I'm so not perfect. Like I yelled at my kids this morning. I spilled my coffee. I didn't cuss, but I came close. And you know, you think of all the things that you're not and you freak out. And somebody told me this once, they said, nobody has studied on the topic that you have studied on when they come to sit under you this weekend. So for this 30 minutes, you do know more than they know and just rest in that. So that helped everybody go, okay, yeah, nobody spent the week studying on Jesus walking on water or, you know, the, the doubts of, of Thomas or, you know, blind Bartimaeus. Nobody studied him all week long. So right now, you know more about that situation than they do coach them in that situation. So really, it's leaning into what you do know. And when you don't know something, the, one of my favorite answers on all the planet is, I don't know, but I'll find out. I don't know, period. That's a good answer. I don't know, but I'll find out is a great answer.
0: I'm just waiting for more. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just so bought in. I'm going to leave that pause there because it really shows how I'm just, I'm taking notes. I'm leaning in, you know, because being humble in that way, again, That is something that you may have come in. Imposter imposter syndrome is is essentially this to boil it all down. It's when your success or the opportunity before you or the successes you're experiencing begin to outweigh your identity or more so who you believe you are. So if that starts to get out ahead of you and all of a sudden these people are calling me, they want me to speak. They want me to write a book that that person wants to hire me. No way. They got the wrong one see that imposter syndrome. And so we have to lean back into our identity. And we, as believers, ultimately we are heirs to the throne. We are Kings and Queens because of the authority in us through Christ Jesus. So it's getting back to that identity to say, he's placed all of this at our feet. There is no success that can outweigh that because that is the highest level of the highest regard. But, you know, and you saying that we can all feel that. And I'll be quite honest I'm reading through your information and, you know, 92,000 followers on Instagram. And I'm like, I'm just so excited. Like she's about to get on zoom and we're about to talk like to me, that is that tinge right of imposter syndrome. So even now I'm learning from you in that way of, you know what, no one is going to be sitting in front of Nicole right now at this hour and this time, this year in space and having this conversation. And that's okay. So I, I was just the pauses there. Cause I'm just leaning into that 100%.
1: Well, and I felt, I felt chatty and because I I feel like everybody can learn from one another. Like the conversation went so long before we turned the podcast on because I was learning from you, you were learning from me. And if every conversation, you know, you can talk to a three-year-old and learn wonders, you know, volumes because they have such a fresh take. So everybody's got something to teach. Um, if they're willing to share it with us. And that's one of the amazing things about you. I know how I can see you're a great coach is you're willing to listen and you're willing to share. Uh, So that's, that's just, I found myself in a great learning opportunity. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to share for just a second where I came from.
0: Yes. I would, I would love to, because I was wanting to get to know a little bit more about, about that. And, and also your book, I Will Thrive, and you know that, that background there. So please let us know. Well,
1: and I just want to share where I came from, because I know that there are people listening right now who think, okay, they're having a great conversation, or I loved that quote, or I wish I would have thought like that or thought of that, but somebody like me couldn't. And I just want to stop you right there and don't finish that sentence, because everybody on the planet has a, I can't because of what was done to me, or I can't because of what I've done. So there's because of what was done too, or because of what I've done. And it, I've got both in my life. So as you got to hear some of my successes and Canada made me sound really way cooler than I am. I just wanna let you know that I was born in Canada, given up my dad, by my dad before I was born. I was adopted in the US by my stepdad when I was three. I didn't know about it until fourth grade. Fourth grade Canada was a significant year It was the year I found out I was adopted is that was the year that I found Jesus Christ as my savior. And it was the year that I was molested by somebody in my neighborhood. And it was a year that kind of rocked me because I couldn't meet my biological dad. And I couldn't understand why, why wouldn't he want to know me or why can't I know him? And how could he have possibly been so mad at me before I was born that he wouldn't want me? So it was my first real big seeds of doubt in who I was in in rejection and betrayal. Then when I was molested by somebody in my neighborhood, a year later, I didn't tell anybody for a year. And a year later, I told my best friend, which the flaw in my 10-year-old plan was this. uh, What does a fifth grade little girl do with a secret? Shares it. She tells it. And when you live in a little town and your family doesn't have money anyway, and your dad works at the factory that's laid everybody off in the eighties. So he's one of many people with no work and your mom's a housewife and you're eating out of your garden, you're already not cool. But now I wrote a whole chapter in my book. My book, is, my book says I will survive on the front of it, but the word survive is like ripped off the page and the word thrive is there. And in chapter four, I wrote a chapter called the bully bus because back when I was that age, bullying wasn't a term. I, nobody knew what that was. Uh, in terms of a word, but I knew what it was in terms of a feeling. And the feeling was whenever the school bus would come down the street, my stomach would get tight. I would get nauseous. And now I know I was having anxiety because I would get on the bus. And if there was not a completely open seat, nobody would let me sit with them. Mm. So as I would sit there, not able to sit down, the bus driver would yell at me and say, if you don't sit down, I'm not moving this bus. And if I tried to sit with a kid, they'd all gang up on me. So there was this tension of feeling like there was no way to win. And I'd love to tell you, it's the last time in life I felt like I was, as you grow up, you say, oh, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'd love to tell you it's the last time in life I was there. But what I've learned to do is deal with what happens when we get in those positions in life and how to overcome the labels of the past that other people give us. Um, I was raped by someone in our school. So get this school system flawed There was a guy doing community service in our junior high. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the plan was for them, but I'm sure it's not what happened to me, but he had heard these rumors about me. So for some reason he had justified to himself that it was okay. And I only know because he apologized later. And I think, I don't know if he was trying to get me to not tell, but I knew I wasn't going to tell anybody. And that next summer we moved and I'll I'll recap just kind of my past in the next 60 seconds, Mm. When we moved, I didn't know I could have friends, but my no had failed me in molestation and rape. So I found out that yes was a powerful word. So when I got to new school, do you want to go to a party? Yes. You want to skip class? Yes. Can I hold your hand? Yes. Can I kiss you? Yes. Can we? Yes. The answer is just yes, because yes makes you popular. Yes, makes you a cheerleader. Yes, gets you on student council. I got all these things that I never thought I could get, including pregnant at 17. So life had failed me to that point. And then I failed myself at that point. Now, I would like to tell you I made all the right decisions after that, but I have a whole chapter called Marrying Mr. Wrong. And then it actually starts out with uh, my, my opening chapter talks about the first time my husband used crack cocaine and became violent. So I lived through an abusive marriage. I lived through bankruptcy, foreclosure, homeless, homelessness. I lived through a, a broken rib, a herniated C7. And before you like look at my husband today and think that he is a monster is different guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ended up divorced, but with my circle of friends tonight, I'm doing a zoom call with them on chapter eight, which is called looking your giant in the eye, because I think that part of my life could really be a movie because I had to give up my fortune 500 marketing director job in my twenties. Um, he was in a medical industry job, fortune 500 top executive level. He lost his job. I went on leave of absence of my job. I told everybody I was going to Mexico. I sent my son to his dad's and I went to and I went to Florida to work at a diner for cash and live at a hotel. Now, when you live at a hotel for cash, it's not a five-star hotel. It is a point five-star hotel. And that point is a roach. No kidding. And I found myself alone, lonely, miserable, surviving. That Keanu and whoever's listening right now, you might be at a point in life where you're like, okay, I can survive here. But I just wanna let you know that is not the life that you are called to. And I'm hoping that the sound of my voice right now wakes up something on the inside of you that says you are not big enough to face your giant, but there is a God on your side who is, and you might see yourself as a little lion cub, but when the enemy looks at you, he sees a full grown lion. And I'm not saying you're a full grown lion. I'm saying there's a lion of the tribe of Judah who stands behind you and you might be the cub not big enough for the fight, but he is big enough for the fight. And I wrote in my first book, hi God, that faith does not even begin until our ability ends. So if you have thrown your hands up in the air and said, I can't do this anymore. And you've said, I'm at the end of my rope. I want to let you know that you are in the perfect position for the God of heaven and earth to work through your faith, because this is where faith begins. And I am in a almost 25 year marriage. That is very happy. My son that I had when I was 17 years old is in ministry. He just gave me my first grandbaby. They live with us in our house in Florida, not because they can't afford it, because they can afford their own home, but because our family is so close. We work together, we play together, we live together. And I'm here to tell you, your life can exceed your greatest dreams and it doesn't matter where you start.
0: I'm thinking about the people that are hearing that and and waking up inside of that because I think about when when I was in ministry, when we'd be doing a plan or planning for something, we always started with, okay, who is the person we're doing this for and it had to be a real person we had to be thinking about them so when I think about spe- people that I'm speaking to it may not be a listener across the country I've never met in my life but I do think about one of my family members and I th- I'm thinking about that family member now and I'm just imagining if they would hear what you just said and lean into what you just said and seeing that there is a lion mm-hmm. behind you you know so it, it is very very encouraging and you know what I'm most encouraged uh, type eights Vulnerability is very, very hard. It's something that is a constant tension to manage, to lean into vulnerability. And you've made yourself so vulnerable to the world to share your story. And there are many that hide that or they hide that part of them and they're not willing to step into that. What gave you the courage and the faith and the strength to say, I'm going to tell this story as painful as it is. I'm going to share this
1: you ask a question that makes a lump come up in my throat and tears come in my eyes because nothing but the direct command of heaven. Um, leaving Florida, coming back to St. Louis in chapter one, I talk about the day that my husband came home in the middle of the night, ripped me out of my, I was sleeping in a t-shirt, ripped me out of bed by my t-shirt so hard. He ripped my t-shirt, like my, my t-shirt started ripping off and he had a gun in his hand and he put it in my mouth he subsequently pulled the trigger and the bullet did not fire. Uh, And so I knew coming back to St. Louis, that's what I was coming back to face. Uh, And when I did come back to St. Louis, I faced it. And so one of the things I do talk about in my book is triggers and flashbacks because (laughs) I remember getting really, really nervous in my marriage and actually almost self-sabotaging my marriage. And when I drilled down to it, why was I doing it? I remember looking at the mirror in the mirror one day and realizing my hair was really long, and I thought, "Gosh, my hair hasn't been that long since." And I paused and realized it was when I was married before, and all of a sudden, all this panic started hitting me. Um, and I, I kind of talked myself into a corner there. <laughs> um, coming back from that, um, you're going to have to ask me the question again. Just I've, I, you know, I felt okay. like I, I was supposed to share that about the triggers though because. I still think I come up against, I know you talk about humility and vulnerability and God and commands. I think people back up from the God opportunities that God puts in front of them because you you think "I, I can't, I remember when, and don't, you know, what happened to me or because of me. And when I was dealing with coming back to St. Louis, I remember God telling me, I won't cut you, but I will cut off what is close to you that may harm you. And if I go back and reference it now, I know very much he was probably talking about a type of a a, a circumcision. And God wants us to circumcise our hearts, our our wills. He wants us to circumcise our emotions, our intentions, our dreams, our plans. So much so that he brought circumcision into the physical body, right? And so when the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, for 40 years, they didn't circumcise. So when they were going to go fight, what's the first thing they had to do? They had to come back and cut off So God told me I was going to have to cut that off. And he told me that I was going to have to tell what happened to me as my platform. The very thing I swore I was not going to do once I did it in fifth grade, I knew I will never do that again. And be careful what you tell God because the very thing you tell him you are never going to do is very likely the thing that he's going to tell you. Guess what?
0: That is a guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) So that was in, in getting back to what gave you the courage and the faith. It sounds like God took you in kicking and screaming, but you knew that that was the way that, that you had to go sharing that story and ultimately building that platform.
1: You know, I believe that the Bible says kind of paraphrase that obedience is the blessing exchange.
0: And again,
1: obedience takes faith. So that means we don't want to do it. So God is not going to ask us to do things we want to do. God is going to ask us to do things we don't want to do because that takes faith to do that. Those things It doesn't take any faith. I want ice cream. I'm going to eat ice cream takes no faith to eat ice cream. I want to be healthy. I want to eat ice cream, but I know I need to eat salad and some lean protein. So I'm going to be obedient, eat salad and lean protein. And as a result, my blessing is going to be, I'm going to have the health that I want.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that uh, the value of faith, or the value of being in what you described there, faith begins when our ability ends. The value of being in that position there that is so invaluable too. It's priceless, truly, because you can't buy it. You really can't buy that opportunity. And let's say, for example, you know, in building a business over the last couple of years, financial strife has been very real. It's been very evident. You, I'm sure you know that in building businesses and leading a church starting from, and I want to give context here. Again, this church started at 180 and is now well over 10,000 to 20,000 people online. It's a huge church, but that's hard. And that is an opportunity. I, I've thought about it as scary as it's continually been leaning into that financial strife and building a business. I continued to remind myself that this is something that money can't buy. I can't buy this dependence. I can't buy this faith, this trust that God, you have to show up. And several times I had to smile through the tears as I'm telling my wife, I don't know how we're gonna pay rent. So either I'm gonna fail miraculously or God is going to perform miracles. And smiling because I'm like, God's gonna show up. He has to, but still breaking (laughs) down crying because I'm telling my wife, we can't pay rent. You know. And so being in that moment, to have that opportunity for faith. I know that that's scary, but it's amazing what's on the other side of it because now we're here, we're talking about it and you're sharing a story that unfortunately is is common and it's familiar, but most don't have the courage. And I see a transference of courage and strength through you. I'm feeling it. So I can't wait to read your book personally because I'm already fired up. It's the end of the day. It's 5 p.m. here, Eastern Standard Time. I'm ready to go home. I'm very tired, but now <laughs> I'm fired up and I'm like, who can I speak to Who can I get in front of? So thank you for sharing your platform on behalf of all of us out here for sharing your story and creating that platform to encourage people.
1: Oh, thank you. I, I do have a very uh, selfish question. Sure. So at the end of our conversation, Do you feel I'm more of a three or more of an eight? (laughs) Bringing it back to the numbers.
0: Well, you know, I I did want to get to it because I wanted to make sure that I was able to add even a Percentage of value to you that is a value that you've added to me and our listeners in our podcast. So let's dive into it a little bit. Let's see. There is a common there's there's some common misunderstandings with the Enneagram and what people will try to do because you're familiar with personality assessments and the philosophies of it is try to diagnose based on the actions instead of the motives. And that's what sets the Enneagram apart is that it first and foremost gets to the motives of why we do what we do. And we have to go back to that to figure out what is my type. Because I've had people tell me, well, you're not an eight. You're very happy and energetic and excitable. You can't be an eight. And it's like, well, now you're trying to classify me and I don't like that at all, but they don't know what's driving. So we're gonna dive into this real quick. And this will be helpful for anyone that you happen to expose uh, in your leadership to the Enneagram we get down to the internal drivers. And this is our Enneagram assessments, our results here, the type eight and the type three. And what we need to do, what people must do in finding their type is really read into it and find out what resonates to you. Because you've told me before, you've taken two assessments, two of the most popular assessments out there. One said you're an eight and one said you're a three. And what I encourage people with is saying that they both can be right, what confirms your type is reading into it and saying what resonates or what do you identify the most with? Because that's most important. Not what I tell you, not what the assessment tells you, but what you know about yourself. So we're gonna read into this just a moment and let's see what resonates most with you. The internal drivers or the core motivations for the type eight is they avoid or fear being weak, powerless, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, or left at the mercy of injustice. When this fear is realized, they will or may lash out or fight for control the type three avoids being exposed as, or thought incompetent, inefficient, worthless, failing to be, or appear successful. So which one of those avoids or fears do you resonate most with? Both. Both, (laughs) okay.
1: Well, and I would just say like, when you read the number eight, that sounds like my past. Um, I was weak, powerless, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, left at the mercy of an injustice that very much shaped my childhood. Um, so probably fighting for control when, when that comes comes into play based on my past. But I think because of my past, now I don't even, I'm kinda of just jumping in there for you. Let's go. Because of my past, I don't wanna be exposed or thought of as incompetent. One of the coping mechanisms, so I talk about coping mechanisms in my book, I talk about fear, I talk about anger, I talk about building walls, and I talk about achievement. And people who have a past similar to mine, one of the telltale signs is this quest to be found valuable, um, needed, worth love. So it, anytime I'm exposed to thought incompetent, inefficient, worthless, or fail to appear successful, that triggers that. That's like oof. That's my coping mechanism right there. Is if I can prove that I'm valuable and worth love. Maybe my biological father would have loved me. Maybe my ex-husband would have loved me more than drugs. Maybe I wouldn't have been preyed upon the way I was when I was a little girl.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of commonalities between the type eight and the type three. And a lot of them are that really basically a a very similar belief or a belief that they both adopt is if I do more then I am more essentially, Mm -hmm. it just looks different. So those avoids there, this is, I, I wear contacts. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very blind. I have to. And when you go to the eye doctor, do you happen to have to see an eye doctor? Do you wear glasses or contacts? I don't. So when you go to the eye doctor, those of you out there that are blind, like me, they will, they will change the lenses inside of the machine, the optical machine. And in the beginning, they'll say, which one looks more, which one can you see through better? right? Which one is better for you? And it's very obvious. And then at the end, it gets very, very close and it's very, very similar. So it's kind of like this part right now. I think what we're doing with the three and the eight, which one is closest. And we'll continue to dive into a few more things. And so what we'll do is we'll dive into a few more of these and we'll begin to differentiate, but you mentioned coping mechanisms. So each type in our results, our assessment, we also touch on defense mechanisms. And of course, defense mechanisms is psychological and we all have these operating in us. But the Enneagram helps to shed light on our more dominant defense mechanism. So these two couldn't be more different. Let me read these defense mechanisms. We'll see which one of these resonates most. And it's helpful to think, who have I been zooming out on my life? Because the belief with the Enneagram is it's not who we've become. It's how God created us. And it was our perspective. And then we begin to see the world in this way and affirm how we believe. So the defense mechanism for the type eight is denial to maintain and present a strong exterior type eights must deny the reality that they are vulnerable and susceptible to being harmed, controlled and at the mercy of injustice like everyone else. By denying weakness, they view themselves as invincible and capable to confidently control their life. They are confident because of this ability to use denial. They also deny, forget, or completely ignore unpleasant things. Type 8s may deny that they were hurtful or insensitive to others or that they were themselves hurt because they have not allowed themselves to remember or even recognize that it occurred. And I, as a type 8, I can shed a little bit of light on what that looks like. I had a cousin, a distant cousin and a distant uncle pass away. I grew up with both of them in my life, but they passed away both within a couple of weeks of each other from COVID and other complications. And I know that it's very easy for me to just deny that, well, they were distant and, you know, yeah, I'm sad, but it's fine. I want to move beyond it. I made myself intentionally sit down with my wife and say, hey, this happened. And I don't really feel anything right now, unfortunately, but I know I need to process this because if not, it's going to come back up later and it's going to rear its head. And I need to address it because my defense mechanism is just denial. And it's so obvious. It's so clear. I had my grandfather pass away a few years ago, right after I moved to Charlotte and I went home for the funeral, but it happened so quick that I didn't really process it. This is why I wear this ring here every day to remember his legacy. But now every time I go back to my small hometown in New Mexico, I think of him and it's like, I'm still processing that. So it's a tension to continue to overcome. Mm -hmm. So how does that denial defense mechanism resonate with you?
1: Well, I'll be honest with you. I jumped ahead just a little bit because it was on my screen. Go ahead. Can we talk about type three? Yes,
0: let's let's talk about both.
1: My crazy and complicated answer because I am a woman and I was created that way. Um, so the type three defense mechanism is
0: identification.
1: Tell me about identification.
0: So type threes fear rejection for being themselves. So they identify and embody the admiral qualities people desire instead of being their authentic self chameleon behavior, experiencing approval and admiration by others is a substitute for what they really desire being loved for who they are without needing to accomplish anything. So you see some similarities in that a denial and the identification some of the key differences there is that the denial is more about inward outward it's starting inward and saying okay what is going on in me and what makes me feel better whereas the identification is what do they think so if i if i could talking about your situation and your childhood a type eight in that situation may say i need to put on a strong exterior so that way someone doesn't take advantage of me again, or someone knows that they can't do that to me again. I need to deny it ever happened. I need to be strong. I need to be powerful. I can't let them think I'm weak. Whereas a type three would say, well, if I just continue to lean into these behaviors, then that's okay. That's acceptable. And that will earn me love by being what maybe that's what they want me to be. And maybe that's who I need to become. You see the differences there?
1: Yeah. So the differences there, I would be probably an eight versus a three in everyday life, um, I sometimes put on a strong exterior. Um, I think vulnerable and susceptible perhaps, but I have, I don't like injustice and injustice will make me stand up really strong. However, my husband calls me the master imitator because as soon as I get around somebody with an accent, I just start, I just start mimicking them. And, me. <laughs> and If I'm with an Australian, I'm Australian. But then if I get with, so I came home from uh, the, this conference I was telling you about in D.C. and I traveled with a friend of mine and I was telling one of her stories to my husband. And he said, you sound exactly like Vanessa right now. How do you do that? And I told him I didn't even know that I was. So when he talks about, you know, trying to pick up qualities of other ones, other people and being a chameleon to fit in, I think I'm a little bit guilty of that, but I think I'm probably more, I would more identify with, don't let them see me as weak and able to be preyed upon.
0: Wow. Well, I can resonate a bit with that in a way or empathize with it because growing up, I was raised very, very poor. And I promised myself that when I have the control. When I have the power, I will never be in this position again. So as soon as I told you a little bit about my past, I went to work at 18 in corrections. And that was a lot of money for me, especially with the way I was raised. I started buying trucks and cars and motorcycles and all these things that I thought this makes me powerful because this is the acceptable norm. And so that in some ways on the surface, you would say, well, you might be a three because you were buying all these things to be accepted by others. And it's saying, yes, but control And power was acceptance, not control and acceptance or control and power were success, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of thinking with the end in mind, which one matters more, the power, the control, the autonomy, or the success and the perception of being successful. And how would you answer that?
1: Um, So I'll also tell you, I got a gift. It was a really nice purse. And I wanted to carry this really nice purse, but it was a little bit flashy and I was concerned about what people would think. If I wasn't a pastor, I probably wouldn't be as concerned. So I went to the really flashy store and exchanged it for something that looked a little more conservative. I liked the flashy bag, but wouldn't carry it because of what people think. So I am still, I think a little bit stuck. I think I need your, your professional opinion. <laughs> Okay. Man, okay, where do we, you think I land, <laughs> we
0: will finalize here in the internal drivers, and I'm just going to read through them and I want you to really think about okay. So for example, I had a pastor that I was coaching at one point, and he was really vacillating between a three and a seven. And I walked him through this same process of identifying his type because I can't tell you I just, it's something that we have to, you know, internally recognize or get in tune with. Uh, or not even get in tune with, because that sounds like something's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong. It's more so just saying, okay, which one do we lean towards a little bit more? He said, I really want to be successful as a pastor, but I really do crave autonomy. And I asked him, I said, well, do you want success as a pastor or as a business owner as a leader, so that you can have the autonomy that you crave? Or do you want the autonomy? Because that makes you look successful? Oh, I have autonomy to travel and do whatever I want. Look at me, I'm successful. Or no, I really don't care. I just want the autonomy. No one needs to know and no one needs to see it. So I say that to say, I'm going to walk through the rest of these internal drivers and really think about, okay, which one is a tool to get the other? Because the one that's a tool will probably be our second highest type. And the one we're really after will be our more dominant type. Okay.
1: Okay,
0: so we talked about what they avoid, which is what they fear on the other side of that is what they pursue and the type three pursues being respected admired successful and valuable achieving high status and the appearance of success so it's always attached as well to that appearance factor. Whereas the type eight pursues conflict in order to connect, protecting themselves and those they care about. I want you to think about Martin Luther King Jr. Although he had a platform and he was in the limelight and he was very, very well known, it wasn't about being popular. It wasn't about being accepted. It was about standing in the gap for others. So it was really leaning into them and what they need and leveraging my strength to do it. So that is a great example because although he was in the limelight, I do fully believe in in a lot of other Enneagram scholars, I guess if you would call them, would say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a type eight. Then we have the dominant struggle. So even then those pursues and those avoids sound very similar, but this dominant struggle is very, very different. The dominant struggle for a type three is self-deceit and deceit in general, but not typically others, but themselves. The three is known as the chameleon type, taking on different personas and behaviors, depending on their audience to achieve success. This leads to the struggle of self-deceit and believing they are only their accomplishments or their personas. They lose themselves in their pursuit of success and can, can encounter reoccurring identity crisis. So, not to say this is you, I did have a pastor come to me one time, and he took the assessment he scored as a type 3. Then he took it a little while later, he scored as a type 8. Then he met with a coach and he scored as a type 4. Then he came back to me and said, hey, maybe I'm a type 8, and maybe I am uh, pretending to be a 3. And then I said, well, what do you resonate most with? And he said, and I said, well, maybe... You should read into the type that has reoccurring identity crisis or has a hard time identifying their crisis. It's like if someone took an assessment five times and three out of the five times they scored as a type one, who wants to be right or get things right, and they ask, "Well, you know, I don't, I really can't find it." I would say maybe you need to read into the type that wants to get it right and wants to be accurate. Even even the exploration gives insight to the type. So on the other side, the type eight. I know that you're just absorbing it and taking it in. I can see it. Your wheels are turning. I love it. <laughs>
1: I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be so I can I can understand what the listeners struggle to try and be gut level honest.
0: Hmm. W- will you will you elaborate a little bit more on that? That's interesting.
1: Well, um, you know, and so gut level, honestly, when I read it, I'm like, oh, I identify with the three. Oh, I identify with the eight. Oh, I identify with the three. So, but gut level honesty says, what do I identify more with? And so you have to really kind of sort out, is there a word I don't like? Or is there a connotation that I'm shying away from? even though, because some of these, nobody likes to think about the, the negative parts of themselves, but it does help. If, if we can be honest enough to identify what are the bones to my body, I'm not going to be able to change my bones, no matter how much I think about them. But if I can identify what my bones are, I can use them to become my best self.
0: Yes. Yes. So that's what I
1: want, my gut level honesty. <laughs> yeah, it's like what
0: is what is that deepest point? And we're really doing surgery. We're going deep. So thank you for being willing to, because that is hard work to take a look inside. My wife, uh, when I started to become infatuated with the Enneagram, she avoided it for about six months. And she said, I didn't I didn't want to find out what was going on inside. I saw the work you were doing and how deep you were digging. And I wanted that, but I didn't really want that. Come to find out, she's a type nine, she's a peacemaker, and digging inside created a lot of turmoil or internal conflict that she just wanted no part of. So it gave insight again to her type. And so seeing how we can avoid this, but you're leaning into it, you're digging into it. So thank you, I know that's not easy. The uh, dominant struggle for the type eight is luster excess, more, 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 not because we're trying to get anywhere, but because we can, we can take on more, more opportunity, more churches, more campuses, more speaking engagements, more development. It's really seeing that, hey, we are on a journey and it's not a destination. So when you said that earlier, I thought that has been one of the greatest revelations for me as a type eight is understanding I'm always gonna want more. Even as I'm building my business, once this is successful or completely viable and we're at a position we wanna be, I'm gonna be looking around and saying, who else can I help? Who else can I serve? Who else can I bring along? Because I can. It's a, there's a rabbinic text, uh, James Harrison, the off, author of Thirst, and he is the founder of, uh, actually, I think Charity Water. He's an eight-wing seven, and he references a rabbinic text that says, Don't fear a good work that's never done. So it's like the gospel. That work is never done. There's no, there's no finite game, as Simon Sinek would say. It's an like infinite game, it's ongoing. And type eights, when they lean into that, they bring a lot of freedom to the table. Whereas if not, and they use excess as a struggle, they can become or they can gain an insatiable appetite for power, intensity, and control. They impose their will on life and those around them in order to get what they want. Too much is almost enough. So we can find some insight into why certain things happen in a marriage or in a business, because a type eight in a marriage might say, I want more. And and it's not that I want more from my wife, I want more, period. And so then they start looking for other ways to get more, right? And then they take action on that. And so seeing that, hey, lust or excess, I want more for the sake of it. Can be extremely detrimental, or for a business owner or business leader, yeah, this was fun, this was great, but now I want more, and then they abandon that thing to go start another business and not having really stewarded this well. So those are the dominant struggles for each type, which are vastly different. And then the final one, this is the really the nail in the head for uh, the gospel application, is the fulfillment message, and this is what you want most from life, but it's the message that only your faith can satisfy. The type eight is knowing you will not be betrayed. And the type three is knowing you are loved for who you are, knowing you will not be betrayed for me. This was my story briefly. My dad had attempted suicide three times between the time I was nine and 11. And I was the only one with him at the time because my stepmother had just divorced him and taken his four kids. So it was just us. And at that time when my dad had attempted suicide, my thought was, why did he do that? Why did he leave me? Why wasn't I not enough? Why didn't he care enough about me? Why did my dad... Abandon me. And so I lived life for a long time thinking if my dad, my father couldn't care about me enough to stay, that he wanted to end his life with me in the next room, then anyone could walk away from me. My wife, my girlfriend, my friend, Nicole, everyone would walk away from me because he did. And so I had this sense of constant betrayal. So I started getting out ahead of that and self-sabotaging because I will hurt you before you hurt me. I'll give you a reason to walk away. So that way you can't hurt me and when i experienced a relationship with christ i always asked myself why would my father leave me why didn't my father care about me why wasn't my father there what spoke to me being raised catholic was that my father was there that night my dad tried to take his life my father kept my dad alive got me out of the house And made sure that I didn't have to experience that. My father was always there caring for me, was always looking out for me. And I finally had the answer to my question. And so this, when I found out this fulfillment message, knowing you'll not be betrayed, does not mean people won't betray me. It means that Christ, what he did on the cross, means that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And he took my cross so I didn't have to, so my God would never have to abandon me. And so it speaks to that very deep, deep heart level of our faith. Whereas the type three is knowing you are valued and loved for who you are, not because I said it, not because your husband said it, not because the critics of your book said it, but because you know that Christ sees you for you, the you that is truly internal that is there. He sees beyond the masks, beyond the personas you feel you have to put on and says, you're valued for who you are. You're so valuable. I died for you and I would do it again. And I saw you in this time. I saw you in this life. And I thought that cross was worth taking up for you. So we just ran a marathon. We just ran a sprint there. And thank you for hanging on with me. Now I got to hear what you think or what you feel like. I, I got very emotional there, but I, I felt you were very receptive to it. Oh, no,
1: no, thank, thank you for taking the time. And I just know that there are listeners out there that this is helping them know and investigate and feel okay diving into okay these are the scary parts of me and uh, you know it's okay to look at the scary it's okay to look your giant in the eye it's a zoom call i'm doing tonight it's okay to look your giant in the eye because uh god spoke to me something that i did in the in the bonus the study guide in my book and in the bonus material he gave me a sentence and he said did you know i'm not obligated to heal a hurt that you don't give me hmm. And I was like, first of all, I I want to be like, whoa, God, like, do you what you can't? And he's like, no, check me out. And first Peter five, seven says, cast your care, give your care to him because he cares for you. In James, it says, ask you have not because you ask not it says in matthew ask and keep on asking knock and keep on knocking so god's not obligated to heal until we're brave enough to go and ask him about the betrayal go ahead and face the giant that's on the inside of Him. go ahead and ask him why we seek approval so from other people so thanks for taking your listeners and me today on this journey Uh, to look that giant in the eye and develop 20 seconds of insane courage to say, okay, here I am, I'm at this place. And I would say, when you talked about that dominant struggle, I thought of something I always say. And I always say, if some is good, more is better. So if I have one peanut butter in the house, I want one peanut butter that we're using and an extra one in the pantry. (laughs) Um, If we have one loaf of bread open, I want one in the freezer, right? If some is good, more is better. But the clincher for me was probably... When you said, is it about not being betrayed? What 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 would be true fulfillment be? Is it not being betrayed? Which, oh my gosh, that's important. I've had a lot of betrayal and I am fiercely loyal because of it. Or is it feeling like, you know what? You're loved, period. And I think the true fulfillment for me would be I, and I have to admit, if some is good, more is better. But I have to to lean into that fulfillment isn't. I think not being betrayed would be a floor for me. And you are loved would, be a, would trump that and be a ceiling.
0: Wow. Well, that gives so much more insight. So we're saying that we resonate a bit more with the type three after this. I think so. Well, and I do want to encourage you. And I tell people as well, sometimes they feel like, well, I do. But then I'm going to send you both of these. PDF. So you can feel free to, you know, dig into them. You might read into them and say, you know, Keanu again, now I'm kind of back to the eight thing. I tell people that's okay. Because one without the Enneagram, you've done so much deep work personally that you already know more about yourself than 99% of people. So even then just applying the Enneagram, well, let's say that you really deeply resonate with the three and the eight, and you don't want to let one go to hold on to only one or the other you can still use this to just bring understanding. And so I have some people that are like, you know, I just I just can't seem to choose one. So, you know, I I don't know. And they feel discouraged. And I say, wait a minute, lean into it. Just lean into that. Because even in that, those two types, you know so much more and bring so much more insight in seeing that. And even with some of the things you felt about your father, mm-hmm. we have such such uh, similar stories in some ways that that's why I felt really connected to you as well. Just truly being able to connect and say, well, I'm not alone, right? Belonging. Uh, you know your father leaving you. It was like, well, maybe I wasn't enough, and you know he he left me. He gave up on me. I wasn't enough. And so then Christ saying, no, you're loved for who you are. You are enough because I said it so, and that can't be undone. And no other action can disregard that. So thank you for being vulnerable. We went on a wild ride today, and I do <laughs> believe this is uh, just the beginning of a continuing continuing friendship. So I want to let you go. We're past our time. Thank you for spending more time with me. Any final encouragement for the listeners on this installment of our conversations? Because I do believe there will be more.
1: I want to say thank you for going with me on the journey. And I hope that while we are on this journey, you are on a journey of your own. Um, That the answers that I was giving might be quote unquote, my answers, but I hope that they stirred thought bravery, encouraged on the inside of you to be brave enough to go like, okay, this is a part of myself I don't wanna look at, but if this part of yourself can help you identify and get better, what's your goal? Is your goal staying the same or getting better? And if our goal is getting better, looking at those scary parts, thank you for going on that journey with me. And I hope it stirred the thoughts in you to look at the scary parts so that we don't stay the same and we get better, not just for ourselves, for the people in our life. And I, you know, I'm know, i a fierce believer in you aren't called to just get through life you are called to thrive you are called to be blessed beyond measure you are called to be a blessing going somewhere to bless other people and you can't do that if you're just trying to get by you can't be a blessing to other people if you're 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 stuck mired in your own stuff so if it's okay with you i'd just like to tell people where they can get my book which tells my story but also talks about faith coping mechanisms, how to identify them and maybe how to make them work for us and get past them.
0: Please um, let us know. And and I will put a link in the show notes as well, just for those of you that are listening.
1: Thank you. Because hurt people hurt people. And if we can allow God, we can't heal our hurts. If we could heal our own hurts, we'd all be skinny, rich and happy. And we wouldn't need God. <laughs> but hurt people hurt people. and When we let God heal us, helped people can help people. And that's the goal of my book. So you can get it. uh, You can get it on Amazon. It's like $23 or you can go to my website and get the book for free and just pay like $6 shipping. If you go to Nicolecrank.com forward slash thrive, you can get the book for free, like $6 shipping. It gives you access to all the content. My circle of friends for 30 days, or you can feel free to get it on Amazon too.
0: Thank you, Nicole, so much for sharing. And I know that people will be impacted by that. I'm going to get it, it's free. You know, there are some books, I'm an Audible guy because I'm an efficiency guy, uh, but there are some books that you just have to get your hands on. All of those are, are books that I read. I know they match my red color theme for my, my brand, but I really have read all of them. Uh, you know, there are some books you just got to get your hands on and yours is one. I can already tell I'm going to need to mark it up. So, you know, thank you for that. I'll be picking it up and I hope the rest of you continue to engage with Nicole as well. You can follow her on Instagram. I'll add the handles in the show notes. I've followed you because you're encouraging there and it feels like we're already friends. So thank you again for joining us and I appreciate you. And I look forward to future conversations.
1: Today was a, just a joy. I loved being here. Thanks for having me on the podcast it
0: means a lot. thank you and thank you for joining us on another episode of more than numbers enneagram for business if you want to engage with nicole further visit the show notes we have some information there also some information on how you can begin applying the enneagram or find your enneagram type if this was impactful for you let us know leave us a review subscribe and share with a friend we'll see you in the next episode